this week. We looked at the first three verses last week. This week we'll be looking, the Lord willing, at verses 4 through 19. So let's begin reading in verse number 4. David says, The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even into his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills moved and were shaken because he was wroth. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. He, his pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. At the brightness that was before him, his thick clouds passed, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. Yea, he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of waters were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of thy nostrils. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Let's pray. Daniel, you pray for us. Amen. You may be seated. So, Brother JT was talking to us this morning about Israel being brought into a condition to praise, a condition to sing. Well, this morning we see David being brought into a condition of distress to pray and to call upon the Lord, uh, where he was ready to call upon God. I don't know what's going on with you this morning. I don't know what you're facing this week. I don't know what's been happening that you've been going through necessarily. But whatever it is, 
Has, have you finally been brought into a condition to call upon the Lord about it? No better place for us to be than to be there. In, in, in one sense, what a favor of the Lord to allow us to be in a place where we could be distressed and that we would know the blessing of calling upon his name and him showing and bearing his strong arm, his mighty arm, and delivering us. Yes. That, I mean, you look at the language that David uses here. He bowed down the heavens. There was lightning. There was thick, dark clouds. There was hailstones. I mean, you get, don't you get the impression as you read such things of how the Lord cares when he hears the cry of his child and what he would not do? I mean, we can go back and argue from the greater to the lesser if he gave his only begotten son. What would he not do? What are lightnings and hailstorms and seas being parted? What are those things in comparison to giving his only begotten son? One thing I was thinking as I was reading these things this week was out of Psalm 107 verse 2 where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Isn't that what David's doing here? As we, as we read the superscription to the psalm, and David says that he spoke these words unto the Lord, uh, the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We're going to give praise unto God for his mighty deliverance and the things that we find ourselves crying out unto him and asking him for deliverance for. I mean, you, you, you read here David's doing this as, as we begin in the first few verses there, verses 4 through 6, when he says the sorrows of death had compassed him. They had surrounded him. They had, I, I, I don't remember who it was this week that I was listening to. I think it was Dr. Cook. And if any of you listened to the message that Dr. Cook preached on this passage that Lydia had posted, he was talking about a magician. Anybody listen to that? And this magician would get up on the stage and, and there was these ropes that, that they, would, they would bind him with, that would call, you know, about him and you know, at a magic word, they were supposed to fall off. Well, one particular time that he was performing, they bound tighter and tighter, and his face grew redder and redder until the point people were like, is something wrong? Should we be concerned? Should we do something? And by the time they finally acted, and he's He's calling out this word where the, the ropes are supposed to drop off, and they just weren't. And they suffocated him. They choked the very life out of him. And, of course, Dr. Cook was using that as an illustration of sin. You know, the man performed, and the ropes fell off. And he performed, and the ropes fell off. And he performed, and the ropes fell off. But then there came a day when the ropes didn't fall off. Fall off. You can't 
play around with God. You can't toy with sin. And that was the point that he was kind of making there. But David's saying that the sorrows of death had compassed me. I mean, it was like the grave was open before him. Uh, that's all he could see, you know, ahead of him. The floods of ungodly men, he said, made me afraid. And you know how we've read before where the disciples are on the boat and the, and the storm comes up, and these aren't men that were land lovers. These, these weren't men that hadn't been on the sea before. These weren't men that hadn't been in the storm before. These weren't men that hadn't seen those kind of things before. But even they, on that particular occasion, were afraid, right? Here's David. David's not a wimp. You know, David, you think about those mighty men that the Scripture talks about of David who would go out and, and, and do these great feats. They weren't greater than, than David. David went out and slew Goliath. You know, David was their king, right? So David, David was, was able. He was an able fighter. He was an able warrior. He knew what it was to bear a sword. Um, you know, he, he knew what it was to face something in battle, not just Goliath, but beyond that, you know, while he was, you know, king. But he says here, the sorrow... Sorrows of death that compassed me and the floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of, of, of hell, the grave, compassed me. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. You think he was distressed? Hmm? Sounds like he was distressed. Right? Have you been distressed? You've been distressed lately? You know, I've been distressed lately. I think you probably have too. He said, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. That'd be one thing, wouldn't it? Just to know that's what we ought to do. To know that we ought to cry. But what if it were just left at that? What if there was no one to hear? But it says here, he heard my voice out of his temple. Me. How small am I? I mean, in the grand scope of the cosmos... How tiny, you know, are we? This, this, this little speck of dust that we look at, this is great big planet to us, but there's a little speck in the universe. And here we are, this tiny thing. I mean, as close as I can get in my mind, in my estimation, you know, is to think about an ant in comparison to me. You know, and his little kingdom that he has, these little grains of sand that he builds his mounds out of, you know, that he heard my cry that he listened to my voice, that he heard my supplication, that that sound came into his ears. And not just that he heard, but as we read further, he acted. He came down. So what can we say but God, that God hears the cries of those that he loves? And it doesn't have to be the cry of an adult, you know, uh, that's been walking with the Lord for a number of years. I mean, if Shalom or Emmy cry unto the Lord, will he not hear? Sure. He doesn't have to be audible, right? Yeah. I, I had a hard time explaining that to my kids when they were little. That God could hear, you know, even when we don't speak. Oh, he's greater than we are. You know, I'm not going to hear you unless you speak. And sometimes you speak and I'm still not going to hear you, you know. But we don't even have to use words from our lips. 
But God, God hears the cries. I was talking to somebody about that this week, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, how much more do we feel of that circumstance like David here? He, he's, he's, he's voicing these things to us. He's telling us about this. But how much more did his heart feel those things? And guess what? The Lord heard that cry too. Yeah, David was speaking audibly, but he heard the cry of David's heart. Um, you know, you get some sudden unexpected news, and you don't have words for what you've been told. The Lord hears the cry of your heart. He knows. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what your cares and your concerns are. I'm not saying it's kind of like Brother JT was talking about. You ought to be here when you can be here. You, you worship the Lord here when you're here. But you can worship the Lord out there too. Well, you, you know, cry unto the Lord, but he hears the cries of your heart also. He hears those things as well. But he hears the cries of those who love him for two Sundays. You heard about being, once from me and once from Brother JT, about being the apple of God's eye. Twice over, you've heard that. Twice over in this very month, you've been told you are the apple of his eye. Does he care? Yes, he cares. Is he concerned? Yes. About those things that I'm concerned about? Yes. He's concerned about those things. He hears the cries of those who, if we go back to the beginning of the psalm, to those who love him. I will love you, Lord. He hears the cries of those who love him. Do you love the Lord supremely? Do you love the Lord above all else? Does this, as we said last week, translate into obedience? Because the Lord said, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments, right? Does it translate into your obedience and keeping of commandments? And, and that being the case, us loving him, the things the Lord calls us to do, are they grievous to us? Or are we glad? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'm not saying there's not hard things. There's hard things. You know, I, I think Brother Bruce has been dealing with some hard things you know, lately with his brother. You know? Um, you know, we've, we've all been dealing with some hard, you know, things. But what's too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing too hard. Do you love righteousness? Do you despise sin? Are you torn between the life that the Lord's called you to live here and going and being with Him forever? You know, is that desire not in your heart? No, even, even so come, Lord Jesus. Is there anything here that you would, couldn't leave behind? You know, that, you, that you couldn't leave for the Lord? That you wouldn't rather be in His presence? Desiring, as Paul said, he said that, didn't he? He was torn between the two. It's more profitable for me to stay here, but I, I, I do desire to go and be with, you know, the Lord. 
that feeling, I think, becomes more so when we go through troubles, doesn't it? Severe things. Uh, have you ever been so sick? <laughs> I, I know I have. I've been so sick before. I've been like, Lord, just take me. <laughs> I can be rid of this. Just take me home. You know, and I, don't have to, I don't have to deal with this anymore. But then there's that thought. The Lord's given this for a purpose. The Lord's given this for a time. The Lord's given this for a season. The Lord gives grace to go through it. The Lord has designed for it to be for our good and for his glory. And so we say, yes, Lord. We humble ourselves under the, his mighty hand, right? Well, David, we have, we have no doubt David was a prophet, right? David was a prophet. We oftentimes see reflections of Christ in David's psalms. I think some, it's more evident than others, but I think we see him here. Um, think about what Psalm 22, which we would certainly ascribe to the Lord. Think about what Psalm 22, 12, and 13 says. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. Did our Lord know something about what David's talking about here, about being compassed, you know, about by death? You think about how our Lord was surrounded. You had Ananias and Caiaphas, and you had Pilate, and you had the, the Roman soldiers, and you had the people out there saying, crucify him, crucify him, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Those walking by mocking him, you know, surrounding him, as it were. Can't we see floods of ungodly men? David talks about floods of ungodly men. Can't we see floods of ungodly men surrounding our Lord in those days? In the days of his humility, in the days of his suffering, in the days of his passion, as it were? Did we not see the Lord in distress in the garden, sweating, as it were, great drops of blood? Did we not hear him upon the cross cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani? Translated what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why hast thou left me? Was it not a cry of distress? David has a cry of distress here. It was a cry of distress. And then, you know, we see all these pictures that follow that David uses in poetic form, you know, beyond verse number four and into verse number five, all the way to verse number 19, all these things that we see happening. And as the Lord did cry, did we not see in Scripture that the temple veil, I was thinking about that this morning as Brother J.T. was preaching, and I'm looking behind me and I'm seeing this. You know, in my mind, I've been thinking about these things. I'm looking for a veil. Now, that one's got a manufactured, you know, division in it. But not that one that was the veil in the temple. And it was rent when the Lord cried out from top to bottom. And it wasn't just the temple veil that was rent. The rocks were rent, Scripture says. And there was darkness over the whole face of the earth. Rocks were split in two. The sun was darkened. God heard the cry of His only begotten Son. 
I mean, to the point that here's a Roman centurion standing there. We don't know anything about him, really. But he declares truly this was the Son of God. There was enough that happened. I mean, the Jews who had been given the oracles of God weren't saying that, but that Roman centurion was. Here David was in danger. Death and the grave seemed open before him. It's really something kind of akin to what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, when Paul says this, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble. They were in trouble. Which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed. Had, had, David been, I mean, had Paul been in trouble before? Yeah, he had been in trouble before. He knew what trouble was, didn't he? But here he says, we are in trouble. So much they were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that they despaired even of life, it says. And they had the sentence of death in themselves. That we should not what? These things come upon us that we should not what? Well, what Paul says there is that we should not trust in ourselves. Not trust in ourselves, but in God, which what? Anybody? Raises the dead. I mean, doesn't David talk about death having compassed him? Doesn't he talk about the grave being before him? And Paul is using similar imagery there in the passage that I just read to you. The sentence of death was upon him. But guess what? God raises the dead. Our trust isn't in ourselves. Our trust is in him. David felt as if the cords of death were wrapping themselves around him, tying him down, making it so that he was unable to escape. He goes on and mentions in another part, using another you know, illustration, saying the waters had surrounded him. Going, as it were, you know, over his head. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, Jonah sort of territory. We're talking about something wrapping around. You know, you, you see that passage in Jonah where the seaweed was wrapped about his head. Jonah said that in Jonah 2, 5. He said, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. It's one thing for waters to be around you. It's another thing for them to grip even the soul, to go beyond the outside and to come within and wrap themselves around the soul. He said, the depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up. You think the sentence of death he might have thought might have been upon him? I mean, they threw him overboard. And this great fish swallows him. He might have thought, I'm done. You know, I'm done. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption or from the grave, O Lord my God. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I don't have any more strength. That's what Paul was saying. My strength was gone. He said, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. How about that? How about being in the depths of the ocean, at the bottom of the mountains, in the belly of a great fish, and remembering the Lord and saying, is this too hard for the Lord? Could the Lord deliver me from even here? 
I remember the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. That's starting to sound like David, isn't it? I cried in my distress and the Lord heard me. He inclined his ear unto me and he came and delivered me. That fish vomited Jonah out. Imagine he smelled real good, didn't he? And he runs right to a bunch of people who worship fish, you know. So he had the cologne of fish, as it were, upon him, Danny, as he arrived in town. <clears throat> Think about what John Newton says in Amazing Grace. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me, not my strength, not my ability, my wisdom. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Our God is not only able to deliver, but our God is willing to deliver, willing and able to deliver those who love him to those who love righteousness. David, you know, this is something that, that is said further on in the book of Psalms. Psalms 146, 8 and 9 says this, The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, the Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. These are people in distress, right? Blind. People that are bowed down, hunched over, can't, can't walk, can't move, they're lame. The Lord loveth the righteous. Do the righteous ever find themselves in that kind of position? Yeah. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And that man went walking and leaping. You know, Brother J.T. talking about, you know, there in, in, in Exodus. Well, you know, then women started taking out timbrels. And, and, and dancing. They were dancing before the Lord. That man did the same thing. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and the widow. But the way of the wicked, he turneth upside down. What we see later in this Psalm, Psalm 18, where the wicked begin to call upon God. You know, they, they were done with their gods. Their gods weren't doing anything, so they started calling upon David's God. But they weren't calling upon David's God in truth. They weren't calling upon David's God for mercy in that sense. God did not hear them. God overthrew them. But David's in no small amount of trouble. He is being hunted. He is being persecuted he has been surrounded you remember at one point Saul comes in and he has David surrounded he doesn't really know for sure and realize for sure but he's got David surrounded and somebody comes into the midst of Saul's army and says the Philistines have come into the land and they're attacking and Saul has to call off his pursuit of David and David spared you know once again but his cause has become most urgent. He might have been a little worried when Saul came into that cave and decided to take a nap. You know, that he might be found out. But his cause is entirely desperate. He is at the point that unless God does something, he is going to die. He's going to perish. As far as he's concerned. As far as he can see. The snare of the ungodly is tightening. David needs to be rescued. And he calls upon the Lord. Not saying, Lord, I just need a little help. I think both of, you know, between you and me, we can get this done. 
I was listening to Mark Webb this week, and he was talking about that on this passage. He said, well, the Lord, if you meet me halfway, no. He said, the Lord, it's nothing like that. You've got to be brought to this place that David's at. You see, Lord, unless you do something, I'm done. Unless you help me, I am finished. It's the sort of cry of desperation that you see in Psalm 107. Remember I was talking about those sailors? And, 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 and they knew something about the sea. And they knew something about storms. They were, this, that was familiar territory for them. You know, there, there's familiar territory for you. There's things that you do each week. There's jobs that you all have. And it, it's familiar territory. You, you, you kind of know a little bit about what to expect. You know, I'm sure Brother JT's careful out there around them cows because he knows one of them could step on his foot. He knows one of them could shove him around. They weigh a whole lot more. And he starts rattling that feed bucket, and here they come. You know. He's, that's familiar territory. That might be a little concerning to some of the others of us here. You know, I mean, Sister Carolyn's used to her horse, her horse cowboy that she has. You know, cowboy doesn't know me. When she asks for us to go over there and feed cowboy, I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch cowboy real close. You know, I'm not going to just walk around behind him. You know, he might decide to kick me because I didn't put his feed where he expected to be put. I don't know. You know, he's over there hoofing that bucket, you know. But, but uh, you know, he could step on me because I might do something that Sister Carolyn wouldn't do. You know, he's used to her taking care of him, not me. I'm not used to taking care of him, but it's familiar territory for her. But you think about what's being said here in Psalm 107, verse 23, it says, they that go down to the sea in ships. So we know we're talking about sailors here, right? That do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord. Can you imagine being out there on the wide open sea where you can't see land anymore. You're days into your journey. And you're out there and can see nothing but water, water everywhere, and not a drop to drink, right? These see the works of the Lord. They see storms. They see lightning. There's not a lot of light out there. We know what it's like to live in the city, and it, and it kind of hides, that light hides the stars. Oh, they, they see out there. It's dark out there. They can see. They see the works of the Lord, His wonders in the deep then he starts getting into this, this, this thought of a storm. He says, when he commanded and raiseth the stormy wind, which, which lifteth up the waves thereof. What lifts the waves up? It's the wind. We can learn something about science and God's Word, can't we? And they could, they could spend billions of dollars trying to figure out how waves get lifted up. That's right here. The wind does it. The wind lifts it up. They mount up, and now we're starting to get serious. They mount up to the heaven. I, I remember my grandpa telling me a story one time about being in a really small boat in the ship channel. I think it was the ship channel. But there's some big boats. We went for a tour one time with a homeschool group. You go down this, we had this boat we were in, but you look up at those great big boats. They just tower, you know, up there as you're passing through in this little bitty boat. But, you know, waves mount up to the heavens. Surely the Red Sea being parted, that would have been waves that mounted up to the heavens. 
You know, but these guys are talking about waves that mount up to the heaven and then they go down again. So these guys are riding these waves, right? They're out there in the middle of it and that thing is going way up here and it's above them. They're down here in the bottom. And next thing you know, they're on top of the wave and they're heading down the other side. And it says that these salty men, these seasoned sailors, it says their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro. These guys are used to walking around the top of these decks as the boat's doing this. You know, it says they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. And I read all that to get to this. It says, then, this is what in a normal storm they're describing here. It says, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he heard them. It says, he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Now, they they might have been before that like us. What are we doing right now? It's so hot. It is so dry. Well, they might have been out there in the open water saying, it's so hot, the wind, I wish the wind would blow. Well, after the wind started blowing, they started, I wish the wind wasn't blowing, you know. Then they're glad because they're quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. And if you go, you know, to Psalm 107, if you want to go there later today, there's about four different things like that that are found in there. And has this, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So it's in the midst of a scene like this. I mean, you know, trying to get you there where David is, in a sense. It's there that we hear David crying out for deliverance. He's making a declaration, not of independence. He's making a declaration of dependence upon God. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried unto my God. He heard me and then noticed the response of heaven. Verses 7 through 15, the earth shook and trembled. The foundations also of the hills were moved and were shaken because he was wroth. God was angry. He's angry with the wicked every day. God here is showing forth his anger. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and a fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. It wasn't just a flame that came. It was a flame that came and kindled coals by it. There was something that was left beyond the flame. He bowed the heavens also and came down and darkness was under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and did fly. I mean, you think about a cherub, right? It says the Lord rode upon one. Well, what do you see on Valentine's Day? They look like these little bitty things, like these little babies, you know, right? With little, little bows and arrows. The world doesn't have any idea. How, how, how many did it take in Scripture of an angel to slay hundreds of thousands? Just one. Just one. Just one. They have no idea. 
He rode upon a cherub and did fly. Yea, he did fly upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His pavilion round about him were dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. And these are things the Lord is sending in response to the cry of his children. He thundered from the heavens, and the highest gave his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. Shalom, what do you think those arrows were? How about lightning? I just wanted to get you to think for a second, and then I'll give you the answer. You probably were going to say that next, weren't you? You probably were going to say lightning. So it says that he shot out lightnings. I mean, we all know what that is like to be outside when there's a storm, and boom! Right? I mean, we, 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 we've seen it strike pretty close to us, you know, before. I don't know if you've had that experience. Um, I mean, just destroy a tree. I mean, just splinter it into thousands of pieces. He sent on his hours and scattered them. He shot out lightnings and discomfited them. Then the channels of water were seen, and the foundations of the world were discovered at thy rebuke. O Lord, at just the, the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Hmm? Just, you know, so to speak. And I know I scare most everybody in the house when I sneeze. Well, the blast of the breath of God's nostrils. Uh, these men were discomfited, weren't they? Um, so Spurgeon says things were bad for David before he prayed. After David prayed, they were bad for David's enemies. You know, um, But he describes how, again, seriously God takes the cries of his children in such time of desperation. And we just kind of see God rising from his throne, parting the heavens with storms and thunder and lightning, hailstones and fire. I mean, it's kind of sort of the same kind of imagery you see on Sinai, right? Um, you know, we, can, can we go back and can we point to specific instances in David's life where he was delivered by the things that are being described here? Maybe not necessarily. Some of the things we might be able to, but we can see the Lord has delivered in such a way. I mean, just go back to Egypt, and you see all those things came upon the Egyptians. Why? To deliver his people. What's David asking for here? To be delivered. To be delivered. You know, if I think about verse number 7, just to, just to name a few, the earth shook and trembled, the foundations also of the hills were moved and were shaken because he was wroth. Well, we could go to a lot of different places, but if we were to even use a New Testament reference, Paul and Silas were in prison. They were praying. And they were singing praises. All the prisoners heard. And there came a shaking. And a quaking. And the bars of those cells were opened. And not only that. It wasn't, it wasn't just a shaking that happened. That these doors of these cells became loosed. It says even everyone's bands that they were bound with were loosened. That's some kind of shaking. That's... that's that's a supernatural kind of shaking to loose not just I, I can see the earth being shook and, and those, those doors being opened but we're talking about you know things that were on these men's ankles and wrists being loosened 
Verse 8, thinking about the, the smoke of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth, devoured coals were kindled by him. How about Genesis 19.28? How about when Lot looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain, that same place that he had looked before when he and, and Abraham you know, were, were, were having that discussion, and David, or not David, but um, Lot looks and he sees that land is green, well-watered, lush, desirable. That's the land I want. What about when he looks at it now? He beheld, and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. (coughs) Excuse me. Verses 9 and 10. He bowed down the heavens also and came down, and darkness was under his feet, riding upon the cherub and and flying upon the wings of the wind. Deuteronomy 33, 26-29 says this, There is none. There is none like unto the God of Jeshurun who rideth upon the heaven in thy help. He rides upon the heavens to come and help. And in his excellency on the sky, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, destroy them. I mean, he's told hornets to cause armies to flee. You know, he's used all sorts of things. Locusts, lice, frogs, hailstones, you know, all sorts of things that are at the Lord's command. And shall say, destroy them. Israel then shall dwell in safety alone. Think about that darkness, that thick darkness that came upon Egypt, Egypt, right? But in Goshen, there was what? Light. I think... You know, you, you think about when there's something so dark and there's a light off in the distance. You, it's kind of easy to see that light, right? I think their darkness was so thick they couldn't even see the light that was happening in Goshen. I mean, they didn't have any light. Yeah. No. But, but Goshen, Israel had light. Had light. Let me tell you, we all talk about things that may be coming upon our land. And think about it as a darkness coming upon the land. There's still going to be light amongst God's people. We know God's in control. We know God's doing the things that are being done. We don't have to be concerned. We're called to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. He'll take care of those other things. Then shall dwell Israel in safety alone. The fountain of Jacob shall be upon a land of corn and wine. Also his heavens shall drop down dew. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency. And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee, and thou shalt tread upon their high places." That happened. They came into Canaan and cut down all those groves, right? So we can see some of these acts being that David's describing here. I mean, as David's thinking about being in distress, I mean, it's, it's no wonder that he uses this imagery. He's thinking about what God has done, what God's able to do to deliver him out of his circumstances. And this was not in these words, but I read later, Um, in the little books that y'all have, you know, what Spurgeon said, something like this. 
The enemies surrounded David, right? I mean, what's the enemy's purpose? Cut off supplies. You know, starve him out. Um, There's not a way for him to go. He can't go north, south, east, or west. But what Saul and what all of David's enemies could not stop was the thing that was going to bring David deliverance. Could not hinder or stop David's prayers from God hearing David's prayers. It doesn't matter what trouble you're in. Those things can't hinder us from being able to call upon our God that we might be delivered. That was the one direction that Saul couldn't shut up. That's the one direction the devil can't shut up. You know. I was thinking about Samson. I don't remember why I was looking at those things that didn't at the time I didn't see a connection you know there with them but um, you know when Samson you know just rent that young lion and he comes by later and there's bees have built you know a honeycomb in that carcass of that lion and he says out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness and I mentioned that earlier, how that in these things that we go through, in these troubles and trials that we face, isn't there a sweetness? I mean, that was a trial that Samson faced. I mean, that, that lion was, wanted to kill him, I'm sure. You know, and he just ran in two. And out of that came forth something sweet. Out of these trials, there is a sweetness in the deliverance that is shown by a loving Heavenly Father. There's a sweetness even in being brought to a place where, I mean, I was watching earlier, um, I guess it was, I don't know if it was while you was preaching, Brother JT, I think it was, and Lydia was sitting back there beside Andrew and had her head, she's back there now, but had her head upon his shoulder. There, there's a sweetness to being able to lean upon the Lord, to be able to come under the, the shelter of the shadow of the wing of the Almighty, there's, there's a sweetness that there is there. The Lord came to David's rescue. I mean, as you read these words, he intervened in a dramatic fashion, um, as we can see. He sent from above, David says in verse number 16, he took me and drew me out of many waters. I thought about Peter. There Peter was walking upon the water and Peter began to look at the wind and the waves around him and he began to sink and he said, Lord, save me. And the Lord reached down and drew him out of the water. I was thinking about Moses and his mother building, you know, that, that ark as it were of bulrushes and the pitch and everything that she put around it to keep, make it waterproof and she puts her baby in it and he was drawn from the water in a way she didn't expect, I was, I'm sure. And further didn't expect, as Miriam had followed, you know, that whole thing and asked Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go call a Hebrew nurse for the child? Yes, I'll go do that. Calls his own mother. And she gets paid wages for taking care of her own son, you know. How gracious God is, isn't he? He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me, for they were too strong for me. There were mothers that felt that way, weren't there? There in those days when all those children were being 
slain by the Egyptians. They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. So, in your day of calamity, what are we being told? The Lord is your stay. I don't know how long he's going to leave you where you are. You know, how long was Egypt, you know, over, held Israel captive? How long did that last? 400 years. There were generations that passed before the Lord. I don't know how long the Lord may leave you where you are, but he's your stay. He's your comfort. You know, thy rod and thy staff comfort me, Right? They prevented me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a large place. Think about how confined David was and wrapped about, you know, how confined Jonah was. I, I don't know how small that stomach was. You know, it, we've talked about it before, haven't we? It wasn't like on Disney's Pinocchio or Monstro and, you know, they're inside there. They're fishing off of a, another ship's pier, you know, and they built a fire, you know, inside. Um, he brought me forth into a large place. He delivered me. Why? Why? Because he delighted in me. Isn't that something? Isn't that sweet? Talk about sweetness. The Lord. I mean, it's one thing for Teresa to, to delight in me. For my kids to delight in me. For friends to delight in me. But we're talking about the Lord. Remember that speck I was talking about? <laughs> you know? That the Lord would delight in me that the Lord could delight in me well it was divine intervention to be sure that rescued David God reached down he took hold of David and delivered him uh, I was listening to Mark Webb it's been a week or two ago he was recounting I guess a time that he had been cast out of his boat and he was holding on to a tree in the water. He said, I don't know how big the building is that he, he preaches in, in his, but he said it's no further than for me to that wall. But he said there was no way, the waves or the rapids rather and the current for me to ever think I could get there. He said, I had a friend who was a friend indeed. He said he came by and he snatched me by the hair of my head <laughs> and pulled me into the boat <laughs> well that's, that's an image there isn't it but you think about the Lord coming by and delivering us you think about how that you've picked up your child before and you've put it into your arms and you've carried it or you've embraced it you know, that's the imagery that I see here taking David out of deep waters David says the Lord is my support the Lord is he upon whom I depend I will love the Lord he says he's delivered me from many of a tight place and brought me into a spacious place I mean, that deliverance can happen even in the midst of our trial, can it? Where our soul's being just strangled as it seems. And the Lord comes and says, peace, be still. I am your God. I will deliver you. I will aid you. I will help you. What a precious thing to be drawn unto the Lord in such a way in times of distress. 
We do not serve a God who is unconcerned. We do not serve a God who does not care. We do not serve a God who has spun the world upon its axis and left it alone, but is daily. I mean, when you're asleep, who's watching over you? When you're walking in those dark places, who's there beside you? Going, he's not beside you, he's going, we saw last week, he's going before you, or a week before last, I guess it was. Talked about that horn, you know, going before and, 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 and clearing the way even. But it is incredible, isn't it, to think that he would want to abide with us. That he would want to dwell with us, walk with us, commune with us, know us that we might know him. And in the end be brought into his presence forevermore. Doesn't that make your heart even more drawn to him? I will love you, Lord. <laughs> right? I will love you, Lord. God rescues the righteous and, and will have cause. You know, we, we sing that hymn, right? Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home, right? We're going to be raising up Ebenezer's along the way. The Lord's been my deliverance here. The Lord's been my deliverance there. We're going to find people who are going through things and we're going to be able to say, the Lord delivered me from a situation like that. The Lord's, if he, if he delivered me, he's able to deliver you. The Lord sustained me through that. I've been through that. The Lord can sustain you. Let the Lord be your hope and your help. But that's what Samuel said about that name. He said he called its name Ebenezer, for he said in First Samuel seven twelve, till now the Lord has helped us. It's the only help we've got. From here on out. Till now the Lord has helped us. Well, from here on, that's going to be our help, is the Lord. So have we have we yet realized we we look at this, David certainly is in terrible trouble here. But have we begun to realize that we can't do anything? that we need the Lord's help for everything. The little small things that we thought we could handle, how quickly they can turn into great big things. Um, when we read about these people, they're crying out to the Lord because they're in great distress. How we need to be crying out to the Lord continually. I mean, we're not crying wolf, are we? We, we do need the Lord to deliver us every day. When the disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray, wasn't that part of the prayer, the model prayer that he gave them? Deliver us from evil? Well, evil's around us all the time. It's there continually. Do we need to wait till we get to the point of desperation? <laughs> um, I know we will be there in, at times, but this text certainly highlights our great need to be kept and to be delivered, to abide in the vine, right? The Lord says, without me you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in you, John 15, 4 and 5, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing.
Lift it all up, smallest to greatest. Seek the Lord. He is our deliverance every single day. You know, I don't know what the rest of this day is going to hold. Lord, help me. Keep my tongue. Keep my thoughts. Give me strength. Because I, I, I don't have the ability. Um, I don't have the strength. Uh, I need to see myself like David sees himself here. Right? Well, David did cry unto the Lord in his distress and the Lord delivered him from all of his enemies he says at the beginning of the psalm and from the hand of Saul so whatever you're going through this week he's able we used to sing a song like that he is able to deliver thee though by sin oppressed go to him for rest our God is able to deliver thee